Soul Surmise with Steve Stockman, looking at issues of faith and culture. Hello, Steve Stockman here, just to keep you up to date with some of the exciting news about Soul Surmise podcast and the things coming up in the next wee while. Uh, you're about to hear Dana Masters. Uh, it's a four-part series, and this is part one. It was recorded last year at the Four Corners Festival. Well, you hear Dana's incredible voice, uh, her songwriting and her social activism all in one. That'll be... Uh, leaked out to you over the next wee while in the four parts then we also have coming up I'm delighted to say Debbie Waters who is a co-director of Alternatives here in Northern Ireland uh, a restorative justice pioneer a real role model to uh, everyone trying to work across uh, our divisions here in Northern Ireland and then Claire Mitchell who has just published a book Ghost Limb all about uh, being Irish and British and the United Irishman set in a very contemporary situation of how do we wrestle with all this stuff with border poles uh, in our ear uh, at this moment in time. And Ferna, who is a songwriter uh, of a literary artistic bent, uh, inspired by the Regina Spectres, the Sufjan Stevens, and of course won last year's Northern Ireland Music Prize Best Single of the Year, and is nominated for Best Album of the Year with her new album Understudy that we talk about the making of in quite a lot of detail. All this coming up over the course of the next while, please uh, keep your ear to the ground, your eye to the social media for the podcast Soul Surmise, looking at art, social justice and faith with me, Steve Stock. Dana is without question the artist that we booked earliest. She sang last year at the closing event and about halfway through her second song, I said, I want to interview that girl next year. And I was delighted when after the event, two or three others from the committee came and said, we should be interviewing her next year. So, uh, so we booked her before we even finished last year's festival. I first saw her singing with a Presbyterian choir. Yeah. Um, and next I saw her with Van Morrison. I thought, that's a shift. 
We might come to that later on. Um, I think her voice is her witness, but she is a wonderful witness in her life as well. Will you please welcome to Four Corners Festival, Dana Masters. just saying earlier, Dana was um, sound checking in, in, in a tracksuit and um, uh, Tina wasn't sure whether to interview you in the tracksuit or not and I said, even in a tracksuit, I wish I could look like that in a tracksuit. <laughs> but um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, what a week to bring you. You've been on TV all the time. I have. Yeah. That's really scary. Most of the time I feel quite exposed with my voice. But it's a different thing entirely when you're just staring at your face. And they had a premiere at the QFT, and I thought, this will be fun. And I don't know if you'll ever have the, um, the you know, opportunity to look at yourself on a movie screen, but it's, it's not that fun, actually. <laughs> you see yourself in ways that you never wanted to see yourself. Yeah, there's an advantage in looking like you rather than me in that one, I would think. Um... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, in case you haven't, um, my name is Utley. Has a documentary went out on Wednesday night and last night. You can get an iPlayer. Let's get the advertising out um, first. And that was very different because you you became an anchor woman of a, a documentary. Very different than singing, even though you were singing as well. How was that? Do you know? In some ways, it was so different, and I was terrified in a way that I haven't been in years, and yet. Essentially, what I do with my music is really storytelling. And that was what that was. I am enamored with people's stories. I find myself very taken by how people's stories have shaped them and shaped the people around them. And a lot of times I find that most people don't even know that they have a story to tell. It's just so normal to them. So it, it was really incredible to focus on one woman's story and a woman who is from here, Northern Ireland, and, and, and tell that story to Influenced them. the Rolling Stones. And Absolutely. what I've noticed this week is, you kind of, when you're talking about rock music, you're kind of, you leave the over 80s out. <laughs> and this week, my over 80s were saying, Audley Patterson, I saw her loads of times. And I'm thinking... <laughs> How cool are the over 80s folks in Audley Patterson? I got so many messages from people, and they were like, I went to school with her, I saw her at this club and that club. And I went from thinking no, no one knew her name and to, to realize that there, there are a few people yeah. who did know who yeah. she was. So if you don't know, um, she was from Comber. Um, she joined the Chris Barber Jazz Band and that blues jazz of the late 50s, early 60s influenced the Stones and uh, the Pretty Things and all those early bands. And, and she seems unknown to us. She's buried in Comber. Uh, I, I, I want to take you to, to the documentary, but first of all, how did, when did you first hear about her? Did you hear about her before they asked you to the documentary or did they come get looking for you? No, and I was really surprised about that because when I first got here to Northern Ireland, I thought, oh, I moved from Los Angeles and I thought, great. No one from the industry is going to find me in Northern Ireland. The industry, the music industry is an interesting place. And 
I thought, no one's gonna ask me to do anything. This is a great place to hide out from the music industry. And turns out, not so much. But um, I got to work with so many great blues musicians, jazz musicians here in Northern Ireland. That's how I got my start, is working in those circles. And that's why I was so shocked that when I was approached to do this documentary, that I, I had never heard the name Audie Lee Patterson. I hadn't either. Yeah. And I thought I knew. Yeah. And now you know I, a lot. I don't. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I so know. they came and approached you, and it seems to me from the documentary, and no spoilers, but you'll not, there's, uh, you know, there's not many spoilers to it if you haven't seen it, but this cassette tape that... Uh, they press right at the start and you're still listening to it at the end. It seemed to me as I, I watched in the QFT and it seems to me as I watched that you were discovering her story as you went rather than if I was wanting to do a documentary on Dana Masters now, I know a lot about Dana Masters, I would come with all those preconceptions. Yeah. You came hearing and you can see in your face almost your emotional response to the wonder and the sadness of that. Is that what happened? Absolutely. That's real. I'm not a good actress. I am the world's worst actress. You're like, act surprised. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so shocked. You know, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. So what you see happening in the documentary is, is real. I had not heard uh, the story that she was telling. I did not know... There, the, for me, there were twists. I, I was absolutely and completely taken back by parts of her story. And what reason resonated with you? Because um, you didn't expect to be part of the music scene. And I'm sure you didn't expect a little white girl from Comber to be a blues singer like the ones you knew. Yeah. So what resonates with you when you finish that story? And no doubt continuing it, because I've just got the first CD through the letterbox today, and I'll, yeah. I'll be listening to more as we go. Yeah. Do you know, there was so much that moved me in that whole process, but the thing that gripped me first... You know, growing up as a child in the South... I had a great upbringing, I really did. And it wasn't really until I left that I left the States that I think I really started to feel some of those ways that I had been treated as other and some of those ways that I had been experiencing racism and prejudice because sometimes it's just it's what your normals are normal. Do you know what I mean? And I think growing up with a family who was involved in the civil rights movement, so they were put in jail, they were beaten up, they were called certain things, whites only, um, bathrooms and water fountains. Those were the stories I was like, that's racism. So when I was a kid, what I experienced, I never really realized what it was. And when I moved here, I think I, I just, I had a couple of years where I think I just cried a lot because I had realized, oh, that really did hurt, actually. <laughs> and I think when I, the first time I heard Ollie Lee Patterson, she, it was like a, a healing balm because I was raised to love my people and my people's story and my people's music. And I knew that it was gold, it was wonderful, it was beautiful. And there were parts of that music like Motown that made it around the world, you know, all these people that, that are gifts from the African-American community to the rest of the world. And yet, when I heard this little woman from Cumber, Northern Ireland, this place that I now call home, sing a, the kind of music that didn't necessarily make it around the world the way that ever, all the rest of it did. I mean, it did, but blues isn't the most popular um, black American music. 
And, and she sang it with an understanding of the pain and the suffering that it was written in. I just felt so proud. And I don't know, I just felt like, thank you. Because <laughs> when she did it, she was always very honoring to the black American community. She was never, you know, putting it on, if you know what I mean. She felt, from what she said and what she wrote, she felt absolutely honored to be able mm. to use that music as a vehicle to even express herself, so. I think it's interesting because this week, particularly, uh, every, every day is the same to me this week, but I think it was Tuesday night we were listening to, uh, Wednesday night we were listening to stories and they were our stories, but they were personal stories of other people, but they became our stories and it was a very powerful night. So hearing other people where you're not expecting to, to sing about your world, there's something moving about that, which is why we continue to sing and, and, and do stories. So if we go back then, you've touched on it. When you were growing up, I can only imagine there was always music in the house. Who were the first singers you heard that you thought, wow, I really like that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Now, no one in my family are musicians. In fact, my mom keeps trying to get me to do a duet with her, and I was like, dude, you do a lot of things well. <laughs> but, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I didn't grow up in a family of musicians, but... I don't know any black people that don't love music yeah. that where I grew up. I don't know. I don't know any that are bad singers. Well, well I know a lot of them. I'll, <laughs> um, music is so much a part of our culture, like many cultures around the world. Um, I, music is so, it, it's not just entertainment for us. It goes deeper than that. And so the way that it's passed on to our children. Um, I remember growing up, my parents' music wasn't uncool to me. I had my R&B that I was listening to and everything, but also Motown was constantly on play. And it never felt like, oh, this is my parents' music. It's so cheesy. It was our music. It was our culture's music. And so for me, Motown and funk and earth, wind and fire and all that, those were my, that's the soundtrack of my childhood. But I do remember... My mom used to love to play Anita Baker. And the thing about Anita Baker that stood out to me was in the black experience in America, there is a lot of pain that we're processing and we process it through our music. And one of the parts of our culture that was most damaged by um, these centuries of systematic racism and enslavement and all sorts is uh, the family structure. And we, we all know that, and that's something that is healing and getting better and better as time goes. But when I was growing up, I actually didn't know a lot of my black friends who had um, mother and father in the house. And, and um, most of us came on what they called back then broken homes, <laughs> so, and me included. And so when, when we sang about love, it was either like falling in love or girl, you look so good, you know, kind of thing or it was, we're breaking up, things didn't work out, kind of thing. <laughs> and Anita Baker was one of the first black people that I knew that sang about a longevity of love. Like, she, she talked about what her partner, you know, it's, it's been years and I'm still in love with you, and, and it's just like, and she majored on that. Now, there were the odd 
songs from all Al Green and this other, but she majored on that narrative of love. And I remember even as a little girl, it wasn't just her voice, which her voice is incredible. I think she's probably one of the first, the first jazz vocalist that I ever fell in love with. And I didn't even know she was a jazz vocalist because she was marketed as an R&B singer in America. But um, it was more the story she gave me. She gave me a different story. Not a story that I lived, but a story that I could potentially hope to live. And that was probably the first time that I understood the power of a narrative. Yeah. And how has that music changed? Because you've flitted about quite a lot. You've gone north, you've gone west, you've gone come back east. You've nearly done the four corners. Um, what, 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 are the, what are the influences now as you do what you do now? That is a question. I'm one of those, I, I don't, as a musician, I think it's really, really difficult when you ask a musician, who's your influence, you know? I would still say Anita Baker is at the heart, like, I am probably most subconsciously influenced by her. But deep in the DNA of myself as a songwriter and as a singer, I could never escape what the music that I was raised on. And no matter what I've discovered as an adult, at the end of the day, I was raised on Motown, I was raised on R&B, I was raised on Shaka Khan, I was raised on Earth, Wind & Fire, I was raised on Stevie Wonder. These were the people, even more so than gospel music. Gospel music was not played nearly as much in my house as these other types of music. And that is probably my core structure as a musician. You know, I, I experiment and I go off and I love all these other things, and, but that's what I was raised on. Later on in life, I think my parents tried to get a bit sophisticated and like Al Jarreau showed up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's my core. Wonderful. Yeah. I think it's a couple of songs. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. Can I introduce you to Kian Boylan? He, yeah. <laughs> Nearly all these songs um, I'm going to sing for you tonight, we wrote together, so, uh, yeah. Cold hands, wake me up in my bed, from the clutches of a nightmare. Welcome, reverie. Listening to the Soul Surmise podcast with Steve Stockman. The series is produced in Hollywood by Peter Greer 